0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: It's the week that could decide whether the president is impeached. The lead starts right now. She was President Trump's top Russia advisor, and today she's testifying on the Ukraine scandal and an alleged shadow foreign policy to benefit the president. New carnage in Syria after President Trump's retreat. Now, key U.S. allies are opening the door for Russia and Iran to fill the power vacuum. Plus, the countdown is on to the biggest debate literally ever. And today we are getting a preview of how Joe Biden plans to respond to President Trump and the Ukraine scandal. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Brianna Keeler, in for Jake Tapper, and we start today with our politics lead. Right now, the woman who spent two years as President Trump's top Russia advisor is nearing her eighth hour testifying behind closed doors in the impeachment investigation. Fiona Hill today became the first person who worked in the White House to appear before the Democratic-led committees that are investigating President Trump. Hill left her job just days before President Trump called the president of Ukraine and mentioned a favor before bringing up Joe Biden and his son, a call that sparked the Democrats impeachment inquiry. As CNN's Lauren Fox reports from Capitol Hill.
2: The impeachment inquiry kicking off today with high profile testimony from the president's former top Russia advisor, Fiona Hill. Hill is the first person from the White House to testify in the inquiry, trying to determine if President Trump pressured Ukraine to investigate his political rival, Joe Biden, in exchange for military aid. Democrats hope the closed-door hearing will shed light on what role the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, played in influencing Ukraine's government. Hill was no longer serving as President Trump's top Russian advisor at the time of the controversial July 25th call with Ukrainian president. But according to The New York Times, part of her testimony today is expected to include that Giuliani was running a shadow diplomacy effort in Ukraine. House Republicans blasting House Intel Committee Chairman Adam Schiff for issuing a subpoena to Hill, despite her willingness to testify.
0: She was going to come. She'd agreed to come. She was going to come voluntarily. But he's going to subpoena her, I believe, so he can ask certain questions. And again, keep those secret, except for the certain things that he wants to leak.
2: One official working on the inquiry tells CNN the subpoena was necessary because the White House has prevented so many witnesses from testifying. This as a slew of deadlines for administration officials to hand over documents hits this week, And private hearings are expected to ramp up. On Thursday, Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, is also set to testify under subpoena. Where, according to The Washington Post, he will allegedly tell members the president directed him to send a text message stating there was no quid pro quo when pressed on why the U.S. was withholding nearly $400 million in military aid to Ukraine. The Post also reporting Sunlin will testify he had no idea whether the president was telling him the truth. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kent and the counsel to the State Department, Ulrich Breckball, are also scheduled to appear on Capitol Hill this week, though it's unclear if they will show. Her testimony, of course, is still ongoing on Capitol Hill. But we do know one detail, Brianna. Fiona Hill told members in that briefing today that she supported Marie Ivanovich the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. And she said she shed some details about precisely what happened in her removal from that post over the spring. Brianna. That
1: will be very interesting for those Congress uh, members of Congress to hear. Lauren Fox, thank you so much on Capitol Hill for us. All right, let's discuss all of this. Jeremy Diamond, to you first. Is the White House worried about this testimony from Fiona Hill?
3: Look, uh, she certainly is going to be able to provide a lot of key details about what unfolded in the weeks and months before the president's call uh, with the Ukrainian president. I'm told that she actually uh, stepped down from her position at the White House a few days before that call actually took place. But as far as everything regarding the quid pro quo and questions around that, you know, those exchanges between those three ambassadors that we saw in text messages, Fiona Hill would presumably have been privy to all of those discussions and certainly have been aware of the extent to which the White House was really pressuring uh, the Ukrainian government to carry out these investigations and what was being withheld uh, as a a result.
1: And, Vivian, according to The New York Times, quote, Ms. Hill will testify that while she was the president's top advisor on Russia and Ukraine, she was cut out of the loop as Mr. Giuliani and others ran a shadow diplomacy intended to benefit Mr. Trump's political position, according to the person informed about her account. Does this strengthen Democrats' argument for impeachment, or is this something that gives President Trump just a way to blame his
4: then-personal, potentially currently personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani? I think they're both going to use it to their advantage, frankly. And I've heard that from a number of officials as well, that in the spring especially, they started to catch on to the fact that um, Giuliani was operating in a way in Ukraine that um, basically undermined some of the efforts that they were trying to um, accomplish and some of the, the just basic diplomacy that they were trying to engage in. And they were really cut out of the process. We hear that from officials spanning the government, not just... Um, someone like Fiona Hill at the NSC. And so this was obviously a major concern for them. But at the end of the day, uh, the Republicans, the White House in particular, is going to look at this and say, well, she obviously doesn't know anything. So why should we trust the testimony of someone who alleges that she was cut out of the process? If she was cut out, she may not know. And so both sides are obviously going to try to use this to their advantage. What do you think about, I mean, this
1: idea of there being a shadow diplomat and shadow diplomacy conducted by Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine, it's pretty stunning. Well, it's shady, but actually not that shadowy because he keeps talking about it. You know, like, that's a good point. The, the weird thing about the Trump administration is they just but do knowing, bad but and also but also knowing yeah. now that people have been marginalized as he conducts. But I do this. think there
5: is there is a question like as to how much she knows and does not know, and part of that is that like a lot of these depositions are happening in private, and little bits are leaked. And I think I do think in a time when people are very skeptical of the processes of these things, it would help to have as much of this. Uh, out in public as possible, Just one of the reasons I've, I wish they would just vote to just go ahead and do an official inquiry and do it that way. Um, obviously, there's stuff you can't reveal, but I do think with little bits and pieces leaking, it has the same risk as much of the Russia investigation leaks from that did to throw people into believing basically Trump's rhetoric about what's going on. Well,
1: because Democrats are trying to bring along at least some members of the uh, voting public. Mm-hmm. And yet, are they going to be able to do that when they're having these potentially very compelling hearings, but behind closed doors? Well, I
6: think it's going to be a multi-phase process. It, It is certainly Speaker Pelosi has managed this in a very measured way and, you know, too quickly for some and not quick enough for others. I think what's important about Fiona Hill testifying today is that she's a subject matter expert. She's not a Trump loyalist or sycophant by any means. Her loyalty was to the United States and a policy that was about countering Russia's intervention in Ukraine and Syria. So she'll be able to testify to the actual substance of what should have been done, what should be the diplomacy that continues through the United States' uh, history of foreign policy versus what the Trump administration was trying to do, which I
4: think is ultimately advancing the interests of Russia. And it's actually interesting that she's testifying about this particular case with the Ukraine phone call because throughout the beginning of her tenure at the NSC, there was a lot of attention around Fiona Hill because of the president's meetings with Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, because of the fact that she has been a very outspoken critic of Vladimir Putin throughout her career. And then there she was at the NSC where where she was holding these meetings with President Trump where we were hearing that in one case he may have uh, revealed uh, classified information to the Russians in the Oval Office and other incidents that potentially would have been very alarming for someone with Fiona Hill's background, especially in the things she's written in her books. And so it's interesting we're hearing from her in this case and when everybody was hoping to hear from her in those days about her views on the Russia meetings.
1: Certainly. Okay. so this is when you look at this week, it's a it's a busy one, right? It's a busy week for impeachment. There are four officials, including Hill, who are expected to testify Uh, before Congress. Seven people are facing subpoena deadlines to turn over documents. That includes the vice president, the acting defense secretary, the acting budget chief, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, and acting White House chief of staff Mick Mulvaney. Nayara, I wonder... How much, and maybe this is something you know you all can weigh in on, how much could this change by the end of the week, and how much do Democrats hope this changes by the end of the week?
6: Well, I think there's the day-by-day the day we're suddenly realizing that this is not just a White House issue, this is a whole-of-government issue, and it's a whole-of-government as run by Donald Trump and his children and how they've really made this a government for the Trump family and not for the American people or American national security. Now, if this actually changes the direction of the impeachment inquiry in one week, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a matter of how much information is presented to the public, the public case being made. This is a matter right now of internally getting all the ducks in a row and trying to see what the narrative is. But what we're hearing does not sound good for Trump and his uh, his future legacy.
3: And, and we've seen the rhetoric from this administration already on the impeachment inquiry, right? And, and this will be the first week that that rhetoric needs to be or needs to not be matched to action because this is the first week that you have these document deadlines, these uh, depositions happening since the White House last week sent, sent this letter to Nancy Pelosi saying essentially we're not going to cooperate. This is a sham inquiry, you know, kangaroo court. These are the words that we've been hearing from this administration. So Does Mike Pence provide these documents? Does the defense secretary provide documents? These will be key metrics to see how the administration is actually matching that rhetoric to action. And also, it'll give us a sense of whether this is going to head to the courts and how quickly it will head to the courts, because if they... Start this week with not meeting these deadlines as they have already missed them in the past as it relates to the State Department, for example, we could very quickly see this head uh, into the federal court.
6: This is not just a test, really, of the impeachment process. It's a test of rule of law that we're seeing right now.
1: Yeah. Are we rule of law or are we rule of norms? Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We have much more to discuss. We have some breaking news. President Trump just released a statement about his decision in Syria. Has he changed his mind about pulling U.S. troops out? And is it too late to change his mind? We'll have that next breaking news president trump announcing moments ago he plans to impose tough economic sanctions against turkey and redeploy some of the u.s troops that he promised to pull out of syria just last week the president ordered u.s troops out of northern syria effectively allowing turkey to move in and putting u.s allies the kurds at risk for a massacre i want to bring in cnn's caitlin collins she is live at the white house and caitlin Explain to us exactly what the president is planning and also if there are any concerns that it may be too late. To effectively reverse course.
7: Well, yeah. So the president had a meeting this morning here at the White House with some of his top advisors, Brianna, on whether or not they were going to move forward with san- sanctions against Turkey, something that the president has been threatening for several days now. He's announcing in the statement that he's going to impose sanctions, but he doesn't say, Brianna, that he's done so yet. He just says soon he's going to sign an executive order that would do so. He also announces that they're going to raise those steel tariffs back up 50%. That was the number they were at before. The president had later decreased. And he also says that they are calling off talks that the Commerce Department was having with Turkish officials about a potential trade deal with Turkey. All of that in this lengthy statement from the president that comes as he has been defending his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria, something that he has been facing an immense amount of criticism from Republicans over. And the question is going to be whether or not this is enough to quiet that criticism. AS HIS FORMER TOP RUSSIA aide TESTIFIED TODAY, PRESIDENT TRUMP WAS BEHIND CLOSED DOORS RENEWING HIS CALL TO REVEAL THE IDENTITY OF THE WHISTLEBLOWER. THAT TWEET, COMING AFTER THE HOUSE INTELLIGENCE CHAIRMAN ADAM SCHIFF, HINTED THE ANONYMOUS OFFICIAL MAY NOT BE PUSHED TO TESTIFY IN PERSON IN ORDER TO SHIELD THEIR IDENTITY.
0: PRIMARY INTEREST RIGHT NOW IS MAKING SURE THAT THAT PERSON IS PROTECTED.
7: The White House announced this morning that Trump wasn't expected to make any public appearances, but his fury over Democrats' impeachment probe flared on Twitter, at one point quoting the conservative talk radio host Mark Levin, who made this claim.
8: Serial murders get more due process than the Democrats want to give to the president of the United States.
7: Just as it appeared the president was distancing himself from his chief defender in the impeachment probe, Trump tossed Rudy Giuliani a lifeline.
2: I stand behind Rudy Giuliani absolutely.
7: The two had lunch at his golf course outside Washington Saturday in a show of public support after Trump himself threw the relationship into question.
2: I know nothing about him being under investigation as somebody said I heard a report today I don't I can't imagine it.
7: Aides say the president will likely continue to lash out as his current and former officials make their way to Capitol Hill. Defying a White House pledge not to cooperate with an inquiry they say isn't legitimate.
9: The idea that the whistleblower would be allowed to testify in writing as to hearsay testimony offends every concept but due process.
7: The same Republicans who are defending the president on the impeachment inquiry are also the ones criticizing his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria.
9: If you think they just threaten Europe, you're wrong. They will radicalize
4: people in our country.
7: Struggling to defend the move, one Republican tried to blame impeachment.
4: What the Democrats are doing themselves to try to weaken this president yep. uh, is part of this. There's, there, it was not a, a, an accident that the Turks chose this moment uh, to roll across the border.
7: So far, Trump has been unswayed by their criticism, asserting that the same people who got us into the Middle East mess are the people who most want us to stay there. So, Brianna, we should just be clear, in this statement, the president only says that sanctions are coming soon, not that they've happened yet. So we're going to wait to see when exactly these sanctions actually go into place. That would likely come as an announcement from Treasury, something we haven't gotten yet. And we should note that on Friday, the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin, briefed reporters essentially talking about this executive order that was going to give the president the authority to move forward with sanctions. But we should be clear, they haven't happened yet. So far, it's just a
1: statement from the White House. They haven't happened yet. All right, Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. So when it comes to the impeachment inquiry, will the White House's seemingly no strategy, strategy hold up as the president keeps taking to Twitter? President Trump's Twitter feed offering a window into what is on his mind right now. That would be the impeachment inquiry and Syria. And there was this uh, interesting description in the Washington Post, two reporters there describing recent tweets And comments like this, quote, like an aging rock star, the president is now reprising many of the greatest hits from his hellion days. They say he has bullied and projected while also depicting himself as a victim. But this is something this has worked for him in the past. This strategy, has it not? Yeah, but there's a point of diminishing
5: returns. Right. And it does work with the base to a certain extent, although I would point out that when it comes to the Syria question, uh, you do have a lot of pushback from Republicans and some from uh, base voters as well who are concerned about this. Uh, so it just is a question of how long this works and with whom. Um, I think chaos to a certain degree and the, the sort of upheaval of the media
1: cycle works for him to some degree. But how much? When do you? you to- what do you guys think? Do you think it's working for him?
4: I mean, on a day to day basis, it's hard to say that um, the average person would care about this more than, say, putting food on the table. It's something that gets drowned out. Um, for the average American. Now, when he goes to his rallies, it tends to be a really uh, good and energetic focal point for him. He gets the crowd revved up on this. He calls it a witch hunt. He drops a couple of profanities and everybody gets going. It's something that he likes to use as part of this sort of I'm the victim. This is a witch hunt against me, but I've been fighting and delivering on my promises for you despite all of this that's going on and something that's worked for him, but to an extent. It's
3: also an opportunity, obviously, for Trump to throw out the red meat that his supporters love. And this is where he kind of thrives when he is in the fight. And you can see the energy levels that he has at these rallies where he's going an hour and a half, uh, two hour rallies. But at the same time, this is also similar to what we saw during the Mueller investigation, right, which is when the president sees the walls kind of closing in on him like this. Uh, He sometimes acts in the most impulsive ways uh, that we see him act. He also lashes out on Twitter in ways that are even dismaying to some of his supporters uh, and certainly in a way that provokes a lot of concerns inside the White House from some of his uh, closest advisors. So it's kind of a double edged sword. On the one hand, it allows him to kind of show that he's in the fight and give this aggressive personality that works for him politically but on the other hand it can sometimes trigger some of the very kinds of behavior that he's being investigated over right now.
6: Yeah, I mean, it could be hellion days of yore, but now it seems like he's entering his senility days, and it's an opportunity for Democrats to really show rational, reasonable, process-oriented democracy that is inclusive and that focuses on issues. And I think that'll be a welcome change of pace for people, uh, in particular a way to draw more people into the process as opposed to the people that Donald Trump is turning away.
1: Process-oriented democracy? Shocking, I know. But to that point,
6: is that... Is that something that grabs the attention? I don't think that's the message, right? I don't think the message is process, but the message is we're calm, we're reasonable. We're looking to help you on the issues that you care about on a day-to-day basis. And we're doing that with a demeanor of respect for you as Americans and also for the institution of the presidency. But I'm not sure that's actually what's happening right now. I would argue that
5: having Schiff, who has proven himself untrustworthy on a couple of very important points, running this ship doesn't make it look As above board as they would like to make it look, I think there is a message to send that is, hey, uh, we're the calm party. Uh, Things will not be as chaotic if we are in office. I think that's a good argument. I'm not sure it's the one being sent, particularly, I think, at the LGBT town hall the other week where Beto was saying some very off the wall stuff about uh, how they would treat religious Americans. Um, So I think. That's the right message. I'm not sure that's the message they're always
1: sending. It is the House Intel Committee does not operate in a sort of political free, more political free zone as it did in other years. It's very true. Um, As President Trump issues a new statement about Syria, he's now calling for anyone to help. Yes, he says anyone. Welcome back to our world lead. President Trump defending his decision to suddenly pull all U.S. forces out of northern Syria as Turkey continues its massive offensive into the country. The move by President Trump has pushed the Kurds, a staunch American ally, into the arms of the Syrian regime, Russia and Iran. And as CNN's Barbara Starr reports, it's prompted some to accuse the president of betrayal.
10: Security in northern Syria deteriorated within hours of President Trump's decision to pull nearly 1,000 U.S. troops out of the country. Turkish forces advanced from the north, and the Syrian regime moved in
8: from the south. We find ourselves, as we have American forces likely caught between two opposing advancing armies, and it's a very untenable situation.
10: The Pentagon now has to keep U.S. personnel safe long enough to move them out amid huge backlash against the president's decision, which is widely seen as abandoning Kurdish fighters that American troops had partnered with to fight ISIS and effectively giving Turkey a green light to invade. There is blood on Trump's hands for abandoning our Kurdish allies, retired four-star Marine Corps General John Allen told Jake Tapper. The administration insists the president's action was not a signal for Turkey to strike. But Trump has always wanted out of Syria, making multiple false statements to justify his decision.
11: I have all these people that want to stay. They want to stay. And I don't want to stay... We were supposed to be in Syria for 30 days. We've now been there for 10 years.
10: At one point tweeting, America's Kurdish allies may have deliberately let ISIS fighters go free so the U.S. gets involved. U.S. officials tell CNN that there is no evidence that is true. The president is not tweeting about how his Syria decision is a move that now helps Russia. The Kurds cutting a deal with Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad and Russia for protection. But it may give Moscow access to Kurdish oil fields.
4: Biggest winner is Vladimir Putin, no question about it.
10: And ISIS may be back. A U.S. defense official telling CNN nobody knows how many ISIS prisoners may have already escaped.
4: We have to expect uh, that ISIS is going to uh, try to show itself uh, to be a very potent force.
10: And just a short time ago, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, one of the president's strongest allies, of course, issued a blistering statement criticizing the decision, saying, in part, withdrawing American leadership from this pivotal region would not serve our nation's short, medium or long term interests. It would only make a troubling situation much worse. That from one of the president's closest allies in Congress, Brianna.
1: Barbara Starr at the Pentagon, thank you. CNN senior international correspondent Nick Payton Walsh just got back to northern Iraq after being on the ground in northern Syria. Nick, tell us what you saw.
12: We saw really everything change in about... 24 hours, quite startling how a simple drive to Kobani where there are US troops based uh, yesterday morning, ended about six hours later with the announcement that the Americans were leaving wholesale simply because what we saw there a highway being cut off as far as we understand, symptomatic of the broader isolation US troops were facing and the collapse in security conditions uh, Syrian rebels backed by Turkey they'd moved in, they cut that highway off it cut basically the west of Syrian Kurdish areas off from the east Civilians terrified, trying to work out where they could drive, where was safe. And on that main highway too, the Turkish military, who simply weren't supposed to be as far into that, into Syrian Kurdish territory, had turned up on the side of that highway, sitting peacefully, but making it quite clear they were there to stay. All about the changing territory there, moving so fast, people simply don't know where to run to some of the time. Now, we moved around, tried to stay out of harm's way, but the next morning... The Syrian regime started to move in. They see an opportunity here because the Syrian Kurds don't have their former ally of the United States and don't have the guns to resist. The Turkish NATO member military with all its firepower and air power and might and the pretty ruthless Syrian rebels they're using to do the fighting on the ground. So they've turned to the Syrian regime. The Syrian regime have taken a lot of the towns that we were in. We had to leave because of the continued advance, it seemed, of the Syrian regime. Big winners here. Turkey certainly getting what it wants, and the Syrian regime and Russia moving in very fast, too, and the United States nowhere to be seen. Brianna?
1: Nick Payton Walsh in northern Iraq. Thank you so much. And joining me now is retired Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling, who commanded U.S. forces in Iraq and Europe. General, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, The president is threatening sanctions. He's vowing to leave really a contingency force in the south, but nothing in the north. Is that going to be enough to preserve American interests in the region?
11: It's going to be difficult, Brown. One of the things with the sanctions, even if they were in place today, they take weeks, if not months, to take effect to have a bite. What you're already experiencing is something we call operational momentum. Uh, the attacks have started. The maneuver has occurred. There is killing going on. There are alleged uh, instances of of uh, horrible things happening. War crimes. War crimes. We could put it in that category. Yeah. And besides that, we have lost the reputation with not only the Kurds, but with many of our allies in Europe. So partner Kurds Kurds who already have uh, reason to believe that we don't always stand up for them have certainly more reason to believe that today.
1: What about the potential resurgence of ISIS? Because there have been reports that prisoners have escaped. There were many, thousands yeah. and thousands of prisoners being watched by Kurds in the north.
11: Well, when you're talking about the resurgence of ISIS, anybody that's watched ISIS over the last several years, even as they were being defeated by the, the coalition forces in the area, will tell you that they had a tranche of money uh, that they had already taken away from Iraq, estimates of $400 million plus. All they needed was the coherence in the fighters. All their leadership escaped. So what you have now is not only the potential for additional fighters to come back to the fold, but you have a victory. Uh, ISIS is seeing this as a victory. And whenever you have that, you're going to have more opportunity for attacks.
1: I want to listen to what the uh, Defense Secretary, Mark Esper, said yesterday.
8: And now what we're facing is U.S. forces in a uh, trapped between a Syrian-Russian army moving north to take on the, the Turkish army that is moving south. It puts us in a terrible position, uh, and the, the protection and safety of our service members comes first to me. Let's
1: talk about the safety of service members. What are the long-term implications here for the safety of service members?
11: It's not only the fact that they have been placed between two attacking forces, potentially, the Syrians, the Russians, as well as the the Turks, but you're also talking about the trust that's been generated with partners. So, you know, we've had green-on-blue fires, blue-on-green fires. Uh, This is another instance where... Those who are our partners, who have come to believe in our forces on the ground for helping them do things, now don't trust us anymore. They've seen orders being given, like disestablish your defensive positions, and suddenly, because of that disestablishment of the positions, we've had uh, our Kurd partners overrun by Turkish forces. Those are the kind of things you just can't get back. Trust is, is gained in drops and lost in buckets, and we've just lost a whole lot of trust with any ally or partner.
1: General Hurtling, thank you so much for your insight. A key 2020 question. Is Ohio still a battleground state after Trump's 2016 victory? In our 2020 lead, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, is going to give his first interview since the Ukraine scandal broke just hours before the Democratic debate tomorrow. And the Biden campaign, Jeremy Tell CNN they knew about this, but this was Hunter's decision, Hunter Biden's decision to do this. That said, how essential for Joe Biden is it that Hunter Biden get out there and speak for himself?
3: Look, it's, it's interesting because you've seen the Biden campaign try and not talk about it, try and kind of put it aside for a little bit for a little while. And now you're seeing them kind of go to a different strategy, which is uh, not only talk about it, but try and turn the tables against Trump. Right. And that's what the vice president Biden did uh, just yesterday when he came out with this plan, talking about ethics in office and talking about how he wouldn't have any of his kids have uh, an office in, in the White House. A clear re- reference to Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, president's daughter uh, and son in law. Uh, How it's going to play tomorrow once uh, there is this interview with Hunter Biden comes out I think has a lot to do with how Hunter Biden answers some of these questions. Either way, Trump campaign folks are fairly happy that this is going to be a point of discussion, right? This is what they've been trying to do. They may have been falsely characterizing the extent to which uh, there is any evidence of impropriety or, or, or corruption here, uh, but they've managed to get it into the ethos and to have it be a part of the conversation. And so I think to have this interview happen on debate day, uh, it, it makes it almost impossible not to address it at some point during this nationally televised debate where millions will be tuning in.
4: Not to mention the fact that the president has been tweeting out and asking his supporters, where is Hunter? You know, that's been his thing. He wants to make T-shirts about it. And suddenly now Hunter Biden is going to be doing the interview. The president's going to say, well, there you go. Like, you know, obviously he was afraid or, you know, just re- he, he, he'll feel that he had some sort of direct impact to, to basically um, pull him from out of where he what he alleges was hiding um, to come and explain himself. And that's how they're going to probably characterize it.
1: It's interesting, Mary Catherine, because the President's children clearly have conflicts here, right? right? And yet this the optics aren't great with Hunter Biden, but these are not equal things, right? You can't equate this to what we've seen with the conflicts with the Trump children, and yet... This is the position that President Trump has Joe Biden in. It's a very tricky one.
5: Right. It is tricky because Biden and any Democrat who runs who has to run as a great contrast to Trump, particularly in this way, because Trump having basically no shame is just like, yeah, this is the thing that we do. But look at you. You're doing it right now. There's a reason that Biden doesn't want to talk about the story because it's not a good story. Uh, There is a conflict of interest with the Ukraine. Part of it, even though the most fever swampy theories have been debunked, um, and now they're going to have to talk about it because if there is one skill Trump has, it is keeping an attack line mm-hmm. on an opponent alive. And he will continue to talk about it until they have to talk about it over and over and over again. I'm not sure this is going to work out well. I've been surprised how weak the response was from the
1: beginning on this. There, There is no proof of wrongdoing, right, when it comes to Hunter Biden sitting on this board, Burisma, mm-hmm. uh, without having much experience in this industry for sure. But the optics aren't good, because it, of course, makes you wonder, would he have this position, would he have had this position if his father were not the vice president of the United States? And that's why it is so
6: difficult. When, when you have to fall back on, but it's legal, it's not a great argument, right? And I, but I do wish, and I think people have been wanting a more forceful response from the Biden admi- uh, not administration, sorry, the Biden campaign to push back and make it seem like that the, any one of the Democrats is able to really punch as hard as Trump is. So uh, going into this, Trump has had the ability to set the narrative, which is what the president of the United States generally does. I think having Hunter out there, will see not only what he says, but it could be the definitive interview and then allow for every candidate on that stage, of which there are 12, to point out exactly the hypocrisy about what is uh, nepotism in the White House right now versus the Possibility of it with a different administration. Will it put this to rest, or will this keep the storyline going? That would be the nightmare. But this is this is the Biden. pivot, then, right? If you look at with China trade China trade talks going on this past week, with Ivanka Trump having eleven trademarks just been given to her, eighty-four million dollars that uh, the Jared Kushner made off of this administration.
1: A state once considered a presidential bellwether is increasingly leaning red, with President Trump's 2016 victory so convincing, CNN's Jeff Zeleny examines if the Buckeye state is still a battleground or if it's Trump territory.
8: As Democratic presidential candidates descend on Ohio for their next debate tomorrow night, all eyes are on the state. But will they be a year from now? Why would you abdicate Ohio
5: so quickly to Donald Trump?
8: Nan Whaley is the Democratic mayor of Dayton. She says voters should hold President Trump accountable for his trade policy, promises to restore manufacturing jobs, and, so far, not acting on guns. A key issue here after a mass shooting killed nine people and injured 27.
5: I almost feel like Hillary's loss awakened a group of uh, people that were not interested or willing to do the work of politics that are now completely fixated because they know what's at stake here in 2020.
8: She's talking about women like Stephanie Peiser, Tiffany Roberts and Lisa Ludwig. Shell-shocked by Trump's victory, they formed a group in the Columbus suburbs called Positively Blue.
9: This neighborhood tends to be a little bit more Republican, and that was kind of the reason that we started Positively Blue, because we didn't have anybody to talk to.
8: They're motivated by a sense of obligation and perhaps feelings of guilt.
5: Like, I wish I would have been more involved prior to the 2016 election. Truthfully, I didn't think that that would be the outcome.
8: You didn't think Trump could win?
5: Never. I like to think I'm pretty in tune, but I I never saw it coming.
8: Winning Ohio will be no small task for Democrats. While Barack Obama carried the state twice, Trump's eight-point victory over Hillary Clinton showed how deeply red Ohio can be. But the suburbs are changing. Here in Westerville, Mitt Romney beat Obama 53 to 45 percent in 2012. But four years later, Clinton won 50 to 45, despite losing the state. There are areas of this state that only 6 and 8 and 10 years ago were reliably Republican, big population centers that are now blue. And that makes the starting point of the 20 election a lot closer from the get-go. State Democratic Chairman David Pepper said the party should select a nominee who appeals to a broad cross-section of voters. The Trump re-election campaign and the Ohio Republican Party have been hard at work all year, investing heavily to avoid that they're branding all Democratic candidates as too radical for Ohio.
2: Those messages don't really resonate in Ohio, and I don't think suburban voters are gonna buy it. But
8: around kitchen tables like this, at least one thing has changed from 2016. The Trump presidency is motivating Democrats.
5: I've talked to people who admitted they voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and will not be doing so next time.
8: So, and they've always voted Republican. Do you think that they're making a mistake by underestimating what is happening in your kitchen mm-hmm. and in kitchens across Ohio? Oh,
10: yeah. Yes.
6: But don't tell them. Yeah. <laughs>
8: So there's little doubt that some of the most important battlegrounds in the general election campaign will be the suburbs here in Columbus, all across Ohio, Brianna. There is a group, red, wine and blue, that's being founded to uh, find these non-political women who want to be more active in the next campaign. You can tell the Trump campaign is listening tomorrow afternoon right here in the suburbs of Columbus. The Trump campaign is coming to have an event of their own hours before that Democratic debate. Brianna.
1: Jeff Zeleny, thank you so much. And do not miss the 2020 Democratic presidential debate hosted by CNN and The New York Times. Tune in to see the 12 candidates face off live from Ohio. That is starting tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we do have breaking news. Police now talking about the officer who shot and killed an unarmed woman who was in her own home. news in our national lead. The police officer who shot and killed an African-American woman in her own home just resigned. The victim's family wants him to face charges.
2: This man murdered someone. He should be arrested.
1: Body camera footage shows the Fort Worth officer fired his gun two seconds after he shouted, put your hands up, show me your hands. And he never identified himself as a police officer, killing 28-year-old Atatiana Jefferson. CNN's Lucy Kafanov is joining us now from Fort Worth. And Lucy, how is the police department explaining this?
9: Brianna, amidst the grief and the outrage within this community, the Fort Worth Police Department identifying that officer in question as Aaron Dean. He's been with the department since 2018. He was actually going to be fired this morning, but resigned before he could be fully questioned. The police department now promising to do better. Take a listen.
10: Nobody looked at that video and said there's any doubt that this officer acted inappropriately. I get it. We're we're trying to train our officers better. We're trying to shore up our policies, and we're trying to ensure that they act and react the way that the citizens intend them to.
9: Now, the interim police chief says they have launched a criminal investigation. They've also reached out to the FBI about a potential civil rights investigation into this shooting. The question here, of course, whether this is going to be enough. The shooting that took place at the house behind me is the ninth officer involved police shooting by the Fort Worth Police Department. Seven of those shootings were deadly. The family is now calling for an independent investigation, not just into that officer's conduct, but into the conduct of the department itself. And, Brianna, it is going to take a lot lot more for the folks in this community to feel safe again, Brianna. Lucy,
1: thank you for that report, Lucy Kafanov. And you can follow me on Twitter at Keeler CNN or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper, and our coverage on CNN continues right now.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night.